going to be talking about some of the things that have gone on this past week um, today. I, I want to tell you that the topic that I'm preaching on today is there is nothing, nothing I would rather preach less than this topic. That's the truth. Church discipline we're talking about today. If you are here for the first time and you see the slide, you may be a very discerning person and figure that we are in a series on Hebrews. We are indeed in a series on Hebrews. It began in mid-September of last year, and I'm hoping it will finish in mid-August before the students uh, return in larger numbers. And if it goes, though, into Labor Day, that's quite all right. If Hebrews goes on, chapters 12 and 13 are full of application and the kinds of things that are good for us to know. Just think about Hebrews 13, 5, I think it is, either 5 or 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. How long could you preach about that? I mean, a long time. There's so much rich material in uh, Hebrews 12 and 13. Uh, in this study on the book of Hebrews, we've learned that anything good in our lives is the result of Jesus' perfect sacrifice that ended all sacrifices. It is the blood of the Lamb that makes us worthy to stand accepted in the presence of the Lord. It is the Holy Spirit sanctifying work in our lives, building the life of Jesus into us through our union with Him that enables us to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. Last week, our text was Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verses 3 through 11, where we learned that our heavenly Father disciplines his children just like our earthly fathers discipline us, although they did it imperfectly. Our heavenly Father dis disciplines us in love, in perfect love, and his discipline is always perfect. The Father's discipline is far more than just corrective punishment. When you think about discipline, you think about, all right, boy, come here. You're in trouble now. As my dad used to say, you've ripped it now, boy. You've ripped it now. And that meant I was in trouble. One way or the other, I was in trouble. God's discipline for us is also educational. And as we learn from Paul's thorn in the flesh, it can be preventative in nature. It kept Paul from being proud because of the Gifts, the spiritual gifts that God had given to him. So all kinds of ways that the Father's discipline is profitable and beneficial in our lives. If God does not discipline you, then you're not his child. It says it just plain and simple. You remember those conversations, don't you? Well, Joey's parents let him come in at 11. Oh, are you living at Joey's house now? You know? Is Joey a part of this family? You will be in at 10. As long as you're here in this home, you, we have rules. They have rules. These are your rules. Deal with it. All the things that your parents said that caused you to say, Oh, man, come on. Let's just lighten up. Could you lighten up a little bit? Those are the same things that you now say to your children. Why? Why do you say those same things? Because it is your turn and you want to inflict the same pain on them that, you were in, that was inflicted on you? Of course not. You say those things because you love your children. The same thing is true of biblically practiced church discipline. 
Now, when non-churchgoers hear the term church discipline, probably words come to their minds such as judgmental, legalistic, hateful. Fact of the matter is, nothing could be further from the truth. If church discipline is practiced in the way that God designed it to, according to a biblical model, it will be conducted with the deepest love imaginable. The process that Jesus describes in Matthew 18, verses 15 to 20, is often a slow and patient process with the end goal of restoring the wayward person back into full fellowship and covenant family life. This morning is part two on the study of discipline in Hebrews 12. But it's really not tied with Hebrews 12 at all, except that there is a connection to a larger study on discipline in the whole of Scripture. Uh, This message has been planned for a long time. It's been a part of this whole series where when we got to Hebrews 12, it would be talked about at this time. Uh, But we're going to spend... All of our time this morning in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20, where the pattern for church discipline is described by Jesus. We started this series uh, on on Hebrews back in uh, the the summer of last year. It's actually mid-September. That was just about the same time the, the elders began studying this topic in earnest. And many of the elders and deacons went to a seminar, a two-day seminar in Wake Forest at Southeastern uh, Seminary, Baptist Theological Seminary, where we heard discussions on this topic. So it's falling right in place where it has been designed to for some time. Um, we've to, to, to help you to understand that this is a pattern rather than a formula that has to be followed exactly this, 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 and this every time, we're still working through this. There's a lot to consider before we can say, okay, here's going to be the pattern for Grace Community Church. There are things that we thought would be in place by now, but they're just not because we want to understand this according to the Word of God and the Spirit of God helping us to uh, go in the ways that would be pleasing to Him. So let's get started in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 20. Uh, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, and I will ask you if you would to stand for the reading of God's Word. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he said, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, It will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Father, um, just at first blush, these are difficult words. Even um, 
harsh words. They're difficult to contemplate and to think about the practice of uh, your command in our midst. Lord, there are so many of us who have broken relationships all over the place. In family, good friends. And maybe those broken relationships are just about as devastating as anything that could ever happen to us. More so than sickness, more so than economic loss, just more so than anything. When, when people that we love deeply no longer love us deeply, it hurts at the highest levels. And so, Lord, indeed we believe everything you do in, is in love. In fact, the law cannot be fulfilled without love. It's the only way the law is fulfilled if we love you perfectly and we love our neighbor as ourselves. Thankfully, we are not under law. We are under grace. And the gospel of Jesus Christ speaks to broken relationships. And this morning, open our hearts, our minds. Give us a love for one another. And a check in our spirit before judging and Jumping to any conclusion, may we hear from you and respond appropriately. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you and be seated. I'm sure there are house rules in your family. There are certain things that must be followed if you're going to live in this family. Certain words are not allowed in your family. Others have table rules, expectations about chores and responsibilities. And everyone talks about um, how you represent the family outside the home. I remember telling something one time at school that I'd heard my parents say. And I learned very quickly there are things that are said in this home that are not said anywhere else. Um, and... We've all experienced that on both ends as parents and we remember as children and as parents. We are expected to represent the family well outside the, outside the home. If the rules, if the family rules are broken, there are consequences. To say that the church should suspend its responsibility to carry out church discipline is as unwise as immediately suspending the major rules in your home. Let's just imagine that you suspend one major rule in your home, such as, okay, from now on we're going to allow underage drinking. We think that this will be a safe environment, so we're going to have our teenager invite his or her friend. You say, are you kidding? No, I'm not going to do that. Exactly. So it is in the church. We cannot just allow anybody to say and do anything without consequences. That sounds a lot heavier handed than it is. Just hang with me. Look, I say this often, and I know some of you are here for the first time. Some of you are visiting family, and you're just kind of in and out. Any given Sunday that you come to Grace Community Church, you may hear something and, you, and say, I don't agree with that. I don't like that, in fact. If you'll hang in there for a year, you may still not like it, but you'll at least understand the context. This, it doesn't happen overnight. The, the understanding of the gospel, which is so much larger than the plan of salvation, 
doesn't happen overnight. And that speaks to a lot of what I'm going to be speaking to um, this morning. So if you believe that God is the same yesterday, you believe that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, you'll recognize a loving heart behind the call for discipline in the church from God's word. There's no comprehensive list of offenses anywhere in the New Testament that should invoke, that would invoke the beginning of this process of church discipline. Uh, which means that, that all such offenses are not listed. It's kind of like gifts of the Spirit. Uh, I think there are a lot more spiritual gifts than the ones that are just listed in Scripture. You have little pieces here and there. And that's the way this particular process goes. And while Matthew 18 verses 15 to 20 is a guide for church discipline, it's not that exact formula we talked about earlier. It's rather a pattern to be followed when dealing with some of the most painful matters that can occur in church, that a church ever encounters. Great Father's Day message, I would imagine, that you're thinking at this point. Let's examine the text before we talk more specifically about do's and don'ts. One of the things that you'll notice is that every effort possible is made to call a person back to a place where he or she is walking with Jesus. Every, every effort is made to protect the dignity of the offending party by keeping the, the circle of knowledge as small as is possible. The process begins when a brother or sister sees another brother or sister in the body walking in a way that is, is, is sinning against the Lord and, and is going to damage that individual and the covenant family if it is allowed to continue. It's certainly legitimate to apply this to one who sins against the body in serious ways. That's sort of the indication here. This is a serious sin that we're talking about. And it's not just when a brother sins against you, but it's when a brother or a sister sins against the entire uh, body in a way that is forbidden in Scripture. In light of all that the New Testament says about forgiving one another and bearing long with one another, the sin in question is, it has to be a serious sin. So if you know that a brother or sister is sinning in that way, you should come to the elders immediately, right? Is that what it says to do? No. It says go to your brother or sister. Go to your brother or sister. If you know about it and almost nobody else knows about it, chances are good you're somewhat close to this person. And you've had a friend who has shared some concerns with you. Maybe someone outside of the church. I recognize that in our day, you may well want a witness with you. And in no way does it seem to me that a witness would violate the, the intent behind the established pattern of an initial one-on-one. It's clear, again, that this is a serious sin. I think I've said that a few times. Because if your brother hears you and repents, you have gained your brother. Now think about that language. You have gained your brother. There's an indication here that the brother or sister was in serious jeopardy of walking away from the faith. So it's a big deal. Uh, there's pressure from our culture to not only let a person live in such a manner that there is concern for his or her relationship with the Lord. 
to, to, to sin in this way to where you would say, you know, I see what you're, you're doing that you're saying, you're acknowledging publicly here, and it doesn't line up with Scripture. I'm concerned about you. In, in a heartbeat, someone could say, well, take the log out of your own eye before you look at the speck in my eye. Look, you've got to get past that. If you're a serious believer at all, get past that. Get over it. Quit talking about judge not that you shall not be judged. It's true. Absolutely true. But judging like that is talking about motives. When you say, Ted McKinney, I know why you did such and such. Why do I think that? Because if I were in Ted's spot, that's what I'd be thinking. And so I'm letting him have it, you know. If, that's judging. When you see someone who is violating the scripture, we all do it every day of our lives. But when you see them doing it in a serious way, then in love, you need to stop, step in and ask them, encourage them to stop that. Not only are we encouraged to, to accept that sin, but we're encouraged to applaud the brave stance that this person has taken in such a difficult way. To be so indiscriminate is not only to deny yourself or deny your responsibility as a follower of Jesus. It is to endanger your brother or sister by remaining silent. Remaining silent. You've heard that this week, haven't you? Some of you have been criticized for remaining silent this week on the events that happened in Orlando. Others have been criticized for extended sympathy because somewhere in the past you've been critical of homosexual relationships that scriptures say are sinful. I mean, some have gone so far as to blame Christians for the massacre by creating such a culture of hate that such an event was inevitable. Really? Do you really believe that Westboro Baptist represents the church of God? Do you really believe that? You really believe when people stick microphones in the face of some who say, God is judging them. God is. You really believe that's the bulk of Christian, Christian church? Listen, it is never, ever, ever right to hate someone regardless of what they do to you. It's never right to, to, to murder innocent people. And we should never take pleasure when our opponents, and thats I'm just using that word in quotations, our opponents, they're not our opponents. But when those who, with whom we disagree are, are in any way harmed or they get their comeuppance, we, don't, we should never say, well, yeah, I'm glad for that. See, you got what's coming to you. Look, I, I'm sure there are some who think of this, what happened last week as judgment. But God help you if you think of it in those terms. Jesus said, what about, they ask him, what about that tower of Siloam that fell on 300 people? Jesus said, unless, he's talking to his disciples that they're in the crowd. He said, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. In other words, you're no better than they are. This wasn't the judgment of God. It's the consequence of a fallen world. 
where these things happen. And so it can happen to anybody. Don't think it's the judgment of God. Look, anything can be the judgment of, of God, but we can never, ever assume that any, anything like that is the judgment of God. None of us is any better than anyone else. And apart from Jesus, we are doomed. Now, here's from the other angle. Jesus was roundly criticized for his association with both men and women who were socially ostracized because of their behavior. Christians don't hate anyone, not even terrorists who kill Christians. You've heard the stories of the young men and women who were being beheaded by ISIS saying, I forgive you. God forgives you. I see Jesus. You've heard those stories. Christians don't hate anyone. But our beliefs are based on Scripture. And when it comes to matters in the family, in the family, we have to follow Scripture. Now, remember 1 Corinthians 5. I think we visited that passage about a year or two ago where there is church discipline for this gross sexual sin. It's being not only accepted, but again, applauded in the church where a man is living with his stepmother. And Paul says, do not associate with the sexually immoral. Not those outside of the church because we'd we'd have to go out of the world. But if someone calls himself a brother or a sister, you have to deal with this. You can't allow this to go on and not say anything. You know what? One of the things that I've thought about this week is it's a good thing that we're likely going to be forced to decide sooner or later whether we care more about politics or the gospel. Do you know how the believers in the first century would have responded to something that happened in Orlando? How they would have responded publicly? They wouldn't have responded publicly or they would have been immediately arrested and executed. Listen, we we get to, and I am grateful that there are people like Russell Moore and Matt Chandler speaking on on a national level, articulating our position in the public square. But the... The time may well come that when we respond in any way to public events, we'll risk persecution. When you do respond publicly to the events of the day, I hope that your response is loving, thoughtful, and gospel-drenched. Which means... That you can't always respond immediately. Right? Have I ever heard it this quiet in here? Other than the... uh... Back to Matthew 18. If your brother or sister repents of ungodly behavior or beliefs. End of story. Beginning of celebration. No storing up for another time. Done. Forgiven. Restored. No saying... Oh, well, I'm glad so-and-so got past whatever it is or was. Just shut up. It's, it's done. That's one of those 
words you don't allow in your, in your family, right? <laughs> now, children, Pastor Brad has different rules than we do. <laughs> he doesn't live in our home. <clears throat> here's the thing. Here's the great thing about this process. If, if your brother or sister repents, and I have seen it time and again, and you think this will never happen. Now, that's what I think, too. It happens. If your brother or sister repents, you've gained your brother or sister. It's the end of story, and there's nothing else to be said about it. If, and, and almost nobody knew, almost no one knew. If she refuses to listen, he or she, then several others are to approach the offending party. And preferably, the group will consist of people who know about the behavior. Look, the world gets this concept, right? You got, a, you got a guy who's drinking too much. You, you've got a woman who is flirting all over the place. A married woman who is flirting. And friends come together. One or two will go to that person and say, you just got to stop this. Really, this is not good. This is, going, this is destructive behavior. And then if, if, if the response is, as it so often is, who do you think you are? What happens then? Intervention. You know why there is intervention? You know why it works? Because of the principle that's in here. You may say God has nothing to do with this. But anything good in this life follows biblical principles. And anything good that seems to be not following biblical principles, watch it. Sooner or later, it falls. Sometimes our covenant family rules are not going to be the same family rules that the world has. And that gets us in trouble with the world. Remember, in this process, always love. Always care deeply about the person who is in trouble. And always be true. Always be true. To the gospel. Steps one and two in this process. Going with one. Going with a group of people. May take a long time. The pattern that Jesus established here. Was stated in in short order. But we all recognize that sinful behavior. Attitudes and behavior didn't develop overnight. And a patient loving approach is to be taken. Recognizing that we're everyone capable of falling into sin. When it becomes certain that a brother or sister will not repent, says Jeffrey Gibbs, the church needs to speak a loving word of exclusion. Now, if there's ever been a phrase that sounds like an oxymoron, that's it. A loving word of exclusion. But far better to know the truth now than when you stand before the Lord. If you speak a loving, excuse me, let me just say, let me rephrase that. If we speak, if we ever speak a loving word of exclusion, um, the world is going to find fault with us. And the person who is excluded will find those who agree with him or her that we have done a horrible, hateful 
thing. You can see that the responsibility lies with all of us, not with just the church leadership, although the leaders will inevitably, inevitably be involved in the process much earlier than the entire congregation. You might want to add the elders and the burden that they carry in this area to your prayers. If exclusion is the ultimate result of the process, the wayward brother will be treated essentially as an unbeliever. And verses 18 to 20 delineate what a sobering responsibility is placed on the church. Truly, I say to you, And verse 18, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am, there am I among them. In our day, look, if you don't like what a, what a church believes and practices, just go to another church. You don't have to put up with that. You don't have to listen to that mess. Here's the kicker, though. If you're living a lifestyle that is not consistent with the teachings of a gospel-centered church, and there's so much that you appreciate about the gospel except for this one thing, I just wish they'd come around on this one thing. It's kind of ridiculous. I'm going to go find another you're not going to find another gospel-centered church that accepts that. You're going to have to compromise in other areas unless you slip in quietly and just don't let anybody know about the choices that led you to leave the church that you previously attended. According to our text, though, unless you reconcile with the church that you left... And with the covenant family of which you were a part. You've got problems in heaven as well as on earth. The local church body for which this pattern was established is given stunning authority. Either we believe this or we don't. Are we apt to misstep when so much is at stake? Yeah, we are. But that is why it's up to the entire body to make the final decision to exclude a member of the family, of the Grace Community family. Never happened before. Might it happen? Yes, it might. We would exclude a person from full participation in the family, which primarily means they'll be removed from the membership roles and asked not to participate at the Lord's Supper. The goal of church discipline is not to show the world how tough we are about sin or this is what we believe. And that's why I'm voting for. I don't care who you're voting for. I don't care. And not just because it's disastrous. Anyways, disaster (laughs) coming upon us. Really, the best imaginable candidate's not going to do anything for the kingdom long term. If God doesn't do kingdom work, it's not going to be done. And what we're about is kingdom work. It's not about politics in the world. 
So the goal of church discipline is not to show the world how tough we are on sin. We are all sinners for goodness sake. And but for the grace of God, there go we all. Who do you think you are? It's not who I think I am. I am wicked to the core. It's what God says about this. That's the only, only standard I can possibly have. Church discipline is given by God first for the good of all who stray. But there are other implications for the church as well. We're going to spend the rest of our time thinking about what church discipline is and what it is not. And we're going to start with thinking about what church discipline is not beginning with. It's not an opportunity for a legitimate power play by an individual or a group. Remember, the church is about a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ and with one another. This is not about politics, yet almost everything in our world is political in one way or another. And we think politically. We can't help it. We're just geared that way. Jesus often said that we are not to seek power like the Gentiles or like those in the world. I'm not saying a believer should not be involved in politics. We have the right to be, and I am grateful that there are godly men or women who are in office. So I tell you, I feel very sad when a good man or woman gets elected to an office. The temptations and the struggles they have are tremendous. We Look, if you spend a lot of time praying that God will put the right people in office, spend every bit as much time praying that he will protect them when they are in office. The church doesn't operate like the world does. And seeking to bring someone under church discipline as a move to strengthen one's political power in the church is abhorrent. God will have nothing to do with that. Do churches do that? Oh, yeah. Is it disgusting at the highest levels? Oh, yeah. And you will not be held unaccountable, those of you who work in that kind of a way. The elders are currently dealing with matters that may ultimately be brought before the congregation. I can absolutely assure you no one is relishing such a thought. Look, I'm sick to my stomach this morning. I don't know if it's because of the topic or not. It could be, maybe, maybe not. But it turns my stomach to think about it. I can tell you that. It's quite humbling and quite convicting to be involved in this process. So don't ever think about church matters in political terms. Look, we all have political instincts of one sort or another. But if we are led by the Spirit, we will do all that we can to follow the godly pattern that is laid out for us in Scripture. In Matthew 18 to be exact. Second, church discipline is not encouragement for the moralist in church to police others in the body. I hope that one of the things that you have experienced at Grace is, well, grace. I hope. Look, a lot of us are recovering legalists, right? It's far easier to just check off a whole bunch of things and say, I, I, get, I get it here, 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 and here. But I don't uh, get it there, but that's not that big a deal. Look. 
the thing that you don't get that's not that big a deal is very high on somebody else's list. Uh, legalism is, is, is death to any kind of life in the church. There are very clear commands in Scripture about murder and adultery and theft. But there, is, there are a lot of behaviors that are left open to individual conscience. You may disagree with the way another church family member conducts him or herself. But be very careful about condemning someone who has different preferences than you do. I don't see how a person can be a Christian and do that. Really? Well, let's examine your life a little bit. I don't have time to examine your life. I'm too busy examining my own. Next, church discipline is not a platform for promoting anyone's particular view of Christian, Christianity. Look, that's what the world does. That's what NPR and CNN and Rush Limbaugh and Fox News do. Do you think when Satan came to Eve, he was more like, Fox News! Hey, you need to do this! That's crazy what God said! Or it was more like NPR. Well, you know, I guess there are differing opinions on this. Of, I would think that on balance, I think it'd be all right to go ahead and eat. Yeah, look, it, it's, it again, does not matter. does not matter what position you take. Everyone has an agenda. There is no such thing as fair and balanced reporting. Furthermore, I have never seen a basketball game, a football game that was a close game and my team lost in which I thought the officials had officiated fairly. <laughs> Absolutely not. I can already tell you that the, the refs are going to cheat toward Cleveland tonight. I'm pulling for Golden State. They're going to cheat. I can just tell you that right now. Look, we're inclined to always present our particular view of whatever it is we believe in ways that point out the wrongheadedness of our opponents. In the 1980s, 1990s, you could believe almost anything. You know what? Society cannot exist where this, there is this vacuum of truth. It will be filled so that today... If you are under 20 years old, you can't believe how open everything was. Believe what you want to believe. Today, you better believe it just like this. And you better believe it now. And you better say it on every possible social media outlet that you've got. You have to be in step with the culture. Right? Sorry, I got in trouble for that last week and now I've done it again. They called Hitler the carpet chewer. I might just start any minute now. He would actually chew carpet. Can you imagine that? Now that's a bad image in your mind. <laughs> On many levels. But see, here's the deal. The gospel is the same. It never changes. We're all sinful. We have no hope of making ourselves presentable to God. One of the reasons that we want everybody else to agree with us is because it affirms who we are. It helps us feel better about who we are and how we are related to God. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree with that? 
If, you, if I can get enough people to agree with me, if I can get enough likes, enough hearts, I'm good. One of the things that is being discussed in theology has to do with nuances about the Trinity. About the eternal submission of the Son. You know how long these conversations have been going on? 2,000 years and they haven't figured it out yet. Yes, we know all about the Trinity, but there's just a teeny little tweak. And people are saying, oh, heretic. Hey, who are you calling a heretic? It's just going on back and forth in the theological world just like it does in the real world because it's how we're natured. Some of you want me to speak a lot more about political issues. Why? Look at the age span in this. It's remarkable. Look, at, look around. Old people, young people, handsome people, and that's it. Good-looking people, that's it. None of the uglies in here. I got to have some good <laughs> at the end of the day. And it doesn't matter. The Babylon Bee, a lot of you know the Babylon Bee. It's this Christian satire. It's just hilarious. This girl, it's one that shows this picture of a woman. She was shocked realizing that the views that she holds right now could be considered to be hateful 10 years from now. And that's just the way it is. People who were saying this culture of hate that conservative Thinking people and Christians have created is responsible for this action. Believe the same way or at least publicly stated they believe the same way. Four years ago. Four or five years ago. Everything changes overnight. Well, everything except one. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The gospel never changes. It's a rock on which you can stand or it's a hammer. Love compels us to reach out to the entire world. One of the early criticisms, Neil Manning could tell you who it was. There were two of the very high officials in the Roman Empire talking. They wanted to persecute Christians, but they were having trouble. They said, the Jews take care of their poor. Romans take care of their poor. Greeks take care of their poor. Christians take care of everybody's poor. We, what are we going to do with these guys? They're loving everybody. That's what you should be doing. Now, the culture may not allow you to love someone while disagreeing with, with their behavior, but that's what you have to do. That's what you have to do. If this crowd is half this size next week, that's what you have to do. We don't have a choice. We have to follow Scripture. Either do it or walk away. It's difficult to just sort of Incorporate it somehow into your life. Well, that's why it takes so long to complete the process of church discipline. Um, 
It's why it's so important to remember this last point about what church discipline is not. It's not a vehicle for weeding out those with whom you disagree. This is a tricky one. I mean, we all want the right to express our views, correct? I mean, we we also all believe that we have biblical support for our views inside the church. But we all need to be careful about how we express those views, especially if they differ from the views of church leadership and the body at large. Again, I don't like saying that that kind of thing, but it's weird. Look, in Hebrews 13, we're going to see the responsibility that the church leaders have for the spiritual well-being of the the body, and that of course has to be kept in balance when the church leadership is exercising that responsibility. That there's no way that there is political power play in, in, in sight. It can't be. The unity, though, of the body must be maintained, and the spiritual responsibility for the entire church body will say, Look, I don't disagree necessarily with your views, but you're going to have, and I do disagree, or I do disagree with your views, but I don't think you're not a, that's, it doesn't have anything about your relationship with the Lord, but for the unity of the body, we're going to have to ask you to be quiet about that. Don't say that. Don't do that now. But one thing, make sure that you understand, church discipline is never a means for weeding out those with whom we disagree. So let's turn to what church discipline is, beginning with a deep love for the wayward individual. If this is not true of you, please do not enter into this delicate process. Even though humans are going to find a way to mess up the process that God has given us, and like almost everything else in in covenant family life, if it's not practiced in love, it's going to turn ugly. Church discipline, according to God's design, though, shows a great love for the individual who is either slowly or suddenly walking away from God. Now, when we talk about church discipline, this doesn't mean if you're struggling with a sense, some of you, probably most of you are struggling with some sin. Some some of those kinds of sins are the the kinds that will get you in more trouble than other kinds of sins that we're struggling with. If Jesus calls on us to Forgive our brother 70 times 7. Do you think he expects less of himself than he does of us? If you're sinning, repent, repent. There's no need for this process at all. (laughs) You may want to reach out to someone and say, I'm really struggling. Can you help me with this? Somebody that you love and trust. And I would encourage you to start just like this process starts, very small. Don't be broadcasting. You don't need to broadcast all your struggles with everybody else. Just get one or two people to help you walk through this difficult thing. (laughs) So church discipline according to God's design shows great love for the individual. If you ever find yourself on the other side of this process, please know that it's being done in love. You are being pursued in love. Second. Church discipline is the commitment by a local church to follow biblical covenant family rules for body life. Following the command to go down the road of church discipline is probably the most neglected rule in the covenant community. I just wonder why. It's likely the most difficult family rule that we have. 
I mean, what if you only suspended that one major rule in your family? Uh, It's going to turn out badly. How can we so easily look away from God's expectations for us as a family? I can tell you why. I don't ever want to be involved in this. But I'm forced to by the word. I'm forced to by my, my brothers who say we have to follow the word in this area. Third, church discipline is the call for all church members to examine their own levels of commitment to God and to holy living. Galatians 6.1 says it best. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you should also be tempted. Look, we must all always resist the temptation to self-righteousness. Jesus had no patience with self-righteous Pharisees. And of all people, when we're called to state that we believe someone is no longer living a life that, we have, that gives us confidence that he or she is a believer, then we need to first look to our own hearts. Look, last week, when I was talking about parents disciplining their children, I, as I examined my heart later on, and it wasn't too long after, I found self-righteousness there. You know, there there are a couple things to say about that. I mean, one, every parenting style is different. Two, every child is different. And three, the further I get from my own parenting days, the better I was. (laughs) And I'm here to help you poor people out there with with the mess that you got in your house. Uh, So now if you weren't here, I'm sure you'll go back. Just remember, I have confessed my self-righteous wickedness before you go. And listen, and it is so easy for us when we're trying to help anybody through a problem that they're struggling with and it's it's easy to be self-righteous and oh my goodness oh my goodness I don't know if you've got an addictive personality or not I do I have an addictive kind of personality I know what it's like to get moving in a direction that's wrong and finding it very difficult to stop I don't think I have any sense of how difficult it is for some people. Our genetics are all messed up. It's part of the fall. God doesn't tell us a whole lot about genetic makeup in in his word except that we're all sinners. We're all, look, if, if, do I die? The wages of sin is death. Do I die from my sin or from Adam's sin? Both, yes. The answer is yes. But but I die for Adam's sin before I die for my own even. It's passed down. Adam's the representative of all the race. We're all really messed up. How dare we smugly and self-righteously condemn someone? Who was struggling. And only because of their desperate need to feel okay. Do they demand that you agree with them. Back in the day. It was the book. I'm okay. You're okay. Look I'm not okay. You're not okay. None of us are okay. Apart from Jesus.
We best look to our own hearts, but we cannot fail to practice church discipline because of what this last point reminds us that such practice is. Church discipline is obedience to God's command to take seriously the proper teaching of Scripture, the testimony of the church, and the purity of the body. One of the most difficult parts of my job is to stand up here every Sunday and encourage you to live a life that is just as difficult for me to live as it is for you to live. But there's power in the word, particularly in the preached word of God. And so preach, I must. If we refuse to practice church discipline in our body because of how it may appear to the world, then we fail to take seriously God's commands for us and we do damage to the testimony of the church. And furthermore, we jeopardize the power of the Holy Spirit in our midst by compromising the purity of the body. David, who was it this morning? They'll know... We are Christians by our love. They'll know we are Christians by our love for one another. One of the ways that we love one another is to step in and say, Brother, sister, don't do this. I know it's difficult. I know you're hurting. I know all of that. Please let me help you. It's not easy to do this the right way, but what about the way of the cross is supposed to be easy? Exactly. Only in dying to self and doing what is biblical can life flourish. In Matthew 15, 20, Jesus says where two or three are gathered together and he is in their midst. This is not a minimum number requirement for Jesus showing up, say, at the park or the pool or the golf course. In context, it's not even saying if two or three of you get together for a prayer meeting, God is really going to come in power. Can you apply that? Yes. You can't apply the first one. That's just bogus. You can't say, well, you know, hey, look, we're not in church today, but it's such a beautiful day. Let's go to the park. God says we're two or three gathered. It's bogus. Misinterpretation altogether. Misapplication, you can't do it. Maybe you can say where God is, where you guys pray, then God is, there's unity, there's power in unity of prayer. Yes, that's true. But in context, this is God's comforting and convicting presence when the church is gathered to help a wayward brother or sister. And our call, God's call to us, our calling is to love one another enough to obey God's command to go after one another when we struggle to follow Jesus, even though we repeatedly fail and get back up. We're doing that day in and day out, but when someone goes down and they stay down, we got to love them enough to go after them. Let's pray. Father, it is indeed a paradox that sinners are are called to call other sinners to repentance. It's almost a, a contradiction in many people's minds. 
And yet it is the way you have designed for life to flourish in our midst. Father, we love you and acknowledge before you that we have really, we have no right to say that we love you because of how wicked we are. You're not offended by that though. You love to hear us say it because of Jesus. When you look at us, you see Jesus and you're pleased. And so we pray that you would examine our hearts and that according to 1 Corinthians, if we would examine ourselves, if we would judge ourselves, then we would not be judged. Lord, in the areas where we struggle, help us. In the areas where we stray, bring our brothers and sisters, send our brothers and sisters after us. Help us to care enough to not care what others think about us. That's hard to do, especially in this world. May we take not only our cues from you rather than the world, but may we receive our love and our acceptance from you because that's the only way we're ever going to love somebody enough to give them the gospel, the full gospel that they desperately need. We need it, Lord. We need you. We commit ourselves to you, knowing that we're going to fall before we get out of this place. Help us. Thank you for loving us enough to leave the 90 and 9 and come after the 1. Thank you for rejoicing when you found us. May that love flow through us. To those in need. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand?